7.36 through 8.3. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And when Jesus answer, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. This is God's word. Thank you, Sarah. It's good to see all of you here this morning. You know, I don't think we'd have much disagreement. All of us would like to have a, a satisfying, fulfilling life. Today, I want to talk about one of the aspects that is most strategic if we really want to experience that type of satisfying life. Namely, we need to be people who love well, who love deeply, who love in all different contexts. And generally speaking, if you're a person who knows how to love other people well, you can thrive in every context of your life. You will thrive in your home life. You can thrive in the workplace. You can thrive in the church. You can thrive in your neighborhood and in relationships in general. Uh, it's not that that's a, a cure-all. There are definitely other factors involved. But if you lack the capacity to love, you will experience untold pain and hardship at every step of the way. And if you're old, old enough like me, uh, that's not debatable. You could give examples. You could, you could give examples of ways that you have hurt people with your lack of love, the pain that you have caused them, the pain that you have experienced. But you could also give examples of the ways that you have loved people and you brought blessing into their life, 
great healing and blessing into their life. And so it's, it's really observable across the board. If you're younger and you haven't experienced this very much, you might need to take my word for it. I would say this to those of you who are students. Uh, it's been said that, and you need to take this to heart, it is possible to make all A's and still flunk at life, okay? And one of the ways that people flunk at life is by not having this growing capacity to love other people. And when you love people, it means that you, you, you not only care about other people's well-being, but you show it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not arrogant. It's not doesn't hold grudges. If you love people, you really want the best. You believe the best about people. And so if you want uh, to, to have a life that's full, satisfying, one of the most strategic things you can do is to learn how to love other people well. And today's passage, the one that Sarah read, is incredibly valuable in this respect. In this passage, Jesus tells us the surprising truth about love. Jesus tells us something about love that I would not guess if I sat down and thought about it for a decade. And that's what scripture is. It tells us these surprising things that upon reflection, we just say, yes, of course that's the case. And we're going to see that about love. Jesus is going to tell us one of the core things we need to, to understand if we want to be motivated to love, not just sporadically, not just selectively, but in every area of life. What Jesus tells us will help us love God, love our neighbors, will even help us love our enemies. So let's dig in. This is the fourth message in a sermon series from Luke 7 and 8 that we're entitling Understanding Jesus. This is what we read beginning in Luke 7, 36. <clears throat> One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at table. If you read the Gospel of Luke up to this point, you'll see that there's this growing hostility of the Pharisees toward Jesus. And so we're immediately suspicious. Why did this man invite Jesus into his home? Probably not because he was teachable and wanted to soak it in and learn from Jesus. He was probably trying to set Jesus up to entrap him in some way. But we read here that Jesus accepted the invitation. And you read Luke, Jesus will accept any invitation. It didn't matter if you were an outcast like a tax collector. Sure, I'll come to your house. If you were a powerful, wealthy person like the centurion, absolutely. Or if you're religiously connected, if you're a religious insider, absolutely. Jesus will come to your house. And Jesus will come to your house if you want him to as well. He really will. He knocks on the door. He doesn't barge in. But if you want him to come in and have table fellowship with you, if you want him to come in and dine with you, he will do that. Absolutely. So Jesus goes to this, this man's house. Verse 37, we read, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner came in. Isn't it striking that Luke calls her a sinner? And we all know what that means, right? We all know what she did. No, actually, we don't know what she did we, because we aren't told, right? Whatever came into your mind, that's probably, that's obviously what, well, all we know is she had a past, she had a reputation. Everybody agreed. Luke calls her a sinner. The Pharisees are going to call her a sinner. Jesus is going to say her sins, which are many. And so there's consensus on she was a sinner. And apparently she wasn't, she wasn't trying to hide it by her actions. She, she had made peace with that. Uh, she, the, by the way, she, she treated Jesus. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, 
brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So apparently she had encountered Jesus at some time in the past. We don't know if she had heard Jesus teach or seen him heal. Maybe she had had a conversation with Jesus. But whatever the case, she found out he's nearby. She was compelled to go and show her affection for Jesus. Historians tell us that in that day, if a wealthy person hosted a meal or a banquet, that the poor would come, they would stop by uh, primarily for leftovers. It was one of the ways that the, the rich would give alms to the poor. And so this woman's present wasn't, presence wasn't necessarily an intrusion. But what she did made everybody uncomfortable, except one person, Jesus. And so she came in, and she, she was immediately overcome with emotion. I mean, again, I've never, nothing like this has ever happened to me. I've never done anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. But she came in, she was so overcome with emotion, she started weeping. And then she falls down at Jesus' feet. And she weeps on Jesus' feet. And then she wipes his feet, not with a towel, but with her hair. And so she had done something that no woman in that culture was supposed to do. She took down her hair. She wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she, she broke this, this vial open. It was made of alabaster. And she poured ointment, perfume, on Jesus' feet. And Jesus did not stop her. And that was the thing that uh, perplexed the Pharisee more than anything else. And we wonder, who does that? Who falls down at somebody's feet like that and shows such extravagant affection. Jesus is going to tell us later in the passage. But look at the Pharisee's response in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for he is a sinner. And so, uh, the Pharisee would have admitted that he was a sinner too. I mean, the whole, the whole uh, sacrificial system of the old covenant it just screamed, you're sinful, you need to atone for your sins. But apparently he viewed this woman as in a whole different category of sinner than he was. She was the kind of sinner that even God would shun. And I say that because his logic was, since a prophet is, some, is a representative of God, if Jesus were a prophet, he would not allow her to touch him because she is a sinful person. And so the Pharisee really believed that God was against sinners like that woman. And God was for righteous people like him. He believed that he was right before God. And Luke emphasized over and over that the Pharisees were actually self-righteous. They thought that they were right with God because of what they themselves had done. They hadn't been declared righteous by God. They thought that they themselves by the way they had lived, were righteous. In chapter 18, Jesus tells a, a parable, and a parable is just a story with a point. And uh, Luke tells us that he, said, he told this parable to people who considered them righteous and people who looked at other people with contempt. And so the parable he told was about a Pharisee. He said, a Pharisee went up to the temple to pray, and the gist of his 
his prayer was, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like that sinner over there, like that tax collector. Meanwhile, over here is the tax collector who's beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus' point is that that man, the humble, repentant tax collector, went down from the temple right with God. The proud, arrogant, self-righteous Pharisee, he went down from the temple wrong with God. And that's the same scenario we see here in in Luke 7. You have the Pharisee, proud, self-righteous, the sinful, repentant woman, humble and accepted by Jesus. And so in the following verses, Jesus masterfully explains what was really going on. And his explanation reveals the the surprising truth about love. Again, (laughs) I'm just amazed when I study the Bible. I'm like, how would you ever know that? Well, it's, it's revealed to us. It's Jesus tells us the truth we could never figure out. Verse 40, Jesus knew the Pharisees' inner thoughts, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So Jesus tells a short parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors, two people who owed him money. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And so a denarius was about what a laborer would make in a day. And so 500 denarii, that's like a year and a half worth of wages. Think of your household income for a year and a half. That's what one person owed him. The other owed 50 denarii, so that would have been about two months worth of wages. Verse 42, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So Jesus is throwing, he's about to set the hook, okay? Which of them loved him more? Verse 43, Simon answered, the one I suppose, he's a little reluctant to answer this, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. And that's, we'd all agree with that. The larger the debt that's canceled, the more affection, the more love, the more appreciation you have for the one that canceled that debt. If somebody paid off your home mortgage, you, you would be very much, you would very much love them more than somebody who bought you dinner, Right? And so, uh, based on that shared conclusion, Jesus now explains to the Pharisee and to us how to interpret what this woman had done and why he allowed her to do it, why he didn't stop her and say, no, we don't do that here. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And the answer to that is no, he did not see that woman. He saw her sin but he didn't see her humility, he didn't see her repentance, he didn't see her affection for God in the flesh. Do you see this woman? And then he makes these contrasts. I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You You gave me no kiss. You kissed me on the cheek. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. She has, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And so the Pharisee, he he neglected even the common courtesies anybody would have shown in that culture. But this woman, she showed him extravagant love. The conclusion, verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. 
Why? For she loved much. That's how we know that she was forgiven. But he who is forgiven little, that person loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So again, Jesus didn't try to minimize her sins. No, he said her sins are many. She's like the person that was forgiven a year and a half worth of wages. She is the person who had this crushing debt because of her sin, this debt that she could never repay. But because her sins, this this weight had been lifted, she loved greatly. She was forgiven much, therefore she loved much. But you, Mr. Pharisee, you've been forgiven little, that's why you loved little. And it's not the case that his sins were not many. His sins were just as many. They were different from the woman's sins. But if you talk to his wife, you talk to his kid, if he had them, they would give you an earful, okay? Self-righteous people tend to be mean, condescending, demanding, harsh people. And so his sins were many. He just didn't think they were. And so he was forgiven little. Uh, He didn't think he had much to be forgiven. So he wasn't forgiven much. And so he did not love much. So here's the surprising truth about love. Very simply, love is proportional to forgiveness. Love is proportional to forgiveness. And so those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. And so here's the point for us. Here's the point for you. If you want to love well, you need to have your many sins forgiven, number one. And number two, you must never forget it. And so you need to have your sins forgiven. You need them wiped out, this debt erased. You need, you need to have them forgiven. And then you need to live in light of that. You must never forget that. Now, here's a, here's a qualification I want to make, and I think it's really important for all of us to, to acknowledge. Namely, that you don't have to be a follower of Christ to love people, okay? I have many friends who are not followers of Christ, but they are compassionate, loving, caring people. My life is better for it, honestly. And the world is better for it. I mean, Everyone is created in the image of God. We all have this internal, unless your, your conscience is absolutely seared, uh, we all have this internal desire to do good for people. And, and people do. People do wonderful things. I mean, where would this world be if the vast majority of humans on the planet did not love other humans? And so you don't have to be a believer to, to uh, love people. But there's a distinctive type of love that only Christians can show. And it begins with our love for God. You remember the parable Jesus told? uh, The person who was forgiven the great debt, do you remember who that person loved? He loved the one that forgave that debt. Okay, so Christians are people who have been forgiven our debt of sin by God. And so first and foremost, we love God. John pointed out in 1 John 4, It's not that we love God first. We love because God first loved us. And so because uh, he's canceled our debt, we love him back. The repentant woman loved Jesus, who was God in the flesh, so extravagantly because he's the one that had canceled her debt. And so the love of Christians is, is distinct because it comes from this deep, deep, profound place of gratitude to God himself. He's forgiven our debt, and so we love him, and we love others. 
in response. When Jesus pronounced to this woman, your sins are forgiven, those present couldn't help but wonder about Jesus' identity. Then those who were at the table, verse 49, with him, they began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And that's the question for all of us. All of us need to settle in our minds, who is this? Who is Jesus? Is he just another good teacher who has some kind of tidbits of wisdom that we could benefit from? Or is he the one who can actually forgive sins? Is he the one who can forgive my sins? Number 50, we get the last piece of the puzzle in this woman's story. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So it turns out that it's her faith that had saved her. It wasn't her love for Jesus that had saved her. No, that was the byproduct of her salvation, of being forgiven. It was her, her faith that saved her. And uh, Sarah read the verses in, in eight, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and, and Luke is making the same point there. There are examples of other woman, women who also loved Jesus extravagantly because they had been forgiven much. Mary Magdalene is mentioned, and uh, Luke mentions that she had been delivered from seven demons, these evil spirits that were tormenting her. And so she loved Jesus because she had been forgiven so much. He had done so much for her. There were these other women in, in high places in the government, and they supported Jesus' travel out of their own means. It was extravagant. They, they used their money for the cause of Christ. And so what happened to the woman in chapter 7 is not the exception. When people are forgiven much, something so miraculous happens that they love much. So we put it together. This is what happened to the woman. She came to this realization, I have this debt because of my sin I can never pay. Then she encountered Jesus. Then she saw him, understood who he was. She turned from her sin. She turned to Jesus in faith. She trusted completely in him. Therefore, Jesus forgave her, wiped out her sin, pronounced her forgiven, and in response, she loved extravagantly. And so that's, that's the process that can happen for each of us. And so now, my question for you is, do you think about yourself the way the Pharisee thought about himself, or do you think about yourself the way the repentant woman thought about herself. Which is it, honestly? How do you tend to think about yourself? <clears throat> if you think of yourself like the Pharisee, you tend to compare yourself to others. You just can't turn it off. You're always looking at other people, comparing yourself, and your honest, objective, unbiased evaluation is that you are vastly superior to almost everybody you know. I mean, it's just a fact. You just are. And because that's the fact, you feel very justified in looking at other people with contempt. There are other people, you look at them, and you just loathe who they are, or whole groups of people. You just loathe them. It could be people that disagree with you politically, people that disagree with you theologically, people whose lifestyle you don't appreciate, but, but you have no problem loathing other people. And you may call yourself a follower of Christ, but if you think about yourself like the Pharisee does, 
what Jesus did for you, that's a footnote. I mean, that's, that's really an afterthought because there was not much about you to begin with that needed to be changed. Do you think about yourself like the Pharisee did? Or do you think about yourself the way the repentant woman did? I mean, she never let the thought leave her mind that she had been forgiven a crushing debt that she could never repay. And that informed everything that she did. And so she was, she, was just like, uh, she was just like Paul. He never got over the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And if you think about yourself the way this woman did, you love other people well. You are compelled to love the people you live with in your home, the people that you work with or go to school with, people in the church. Why? Because how can I not treat other people the way God in Christ has treated me? How can he, he forgive me this debt and I make other people pay for everything they've done? You see? And so, again, this, this, is, a, this is a liberating way to live if we think of ourselves the way this repentant woman did. It will change every area of our lives. I want to give you one last example of what this might look like. And this is an example from the workplace. Uh, what we do, how we, your best, best hours of your week, whatever you do there, that's one of the most strategic times in your life. And how you treat people there really reflects what's really going on in the deepest part of your, your heart. Uh, Tim Keller tells a story. He was a pastor in New York City. He tells of the time when he noticed there was a woman who had come into the services late and she would leave early. I've known some of you have done that, but uh, she did not want to be, she did not want church people kind of globbing onto her. And so, but one day he met her in the foyer and uh, he asked her, he said, hey, uh, what's your story? And she said, well, I just kind of come pop in and out sometimes. I'm not sure I believe what you believe, but I'm intrigued. And he said, well, how did you find your way to Redeemer? which is the, the church he pastored. And she told this story. Turns out she worked for a television station in New York City. And early on while she was there, she made a, a horrible mistake, horrible error. It was a career-ending mistake. She should have gotten fired for it. But come to find out, her boss went to their, their superiors and her boss took the blame for what she had done. And when she found out about it, she was, she was floored. But he actually went in and he told them, she said, hey, what she did, it was my fault. I didn't train her well. I didn't prepare her for that situation. And so if you have to be mad at somebody, be mad at me, okay? But don't fire her. And so she, he saved her job, but it cost him dearly. He lost a lot of social capital, lost a lot of credibility. And so when she found out what he had done, he go, she goes into his office and she wants to know, why did you do that? And he kept telling her, don't, don't worry about it. He said, no, why would you do that? He said, I've had bosses before. They've taken credit for the good things I've done, but I've never had a boss take credit for the, take the blame for the bad things that I've done. And finally, this, this man, he was very reluctant, apparently in New York City, admitting that you're a follower of Christ is a very risky thing to do. But so he said, I'm going I'm to say this once, and I'm only going to say it because you're making me say this. But... My entire life is based on a man who took the blame for me. And that tends to shape everything I do. And her next question was, where do you go to church? Okay. 
And so he was forgiven much, and he never forgot that. And so it affected everything he did. And so he loved much. And so the same thing is true for us. If you want to be like that man, you need to have your many sins forgiven, and you must never forget it. When we come to the Lord's table, it's a time to not forget what it cost Jesus to take this crushing debt of sin that we could never repay. And so we we eat this little wafer of bread. If you didn't get one of these on the way in, feel free to slip out now and and, uh, get one. We eat this little wafer of bread, and it, it signifies the body of Jesus Christ. This is very sanitary, but his body hung on the cross and this, this little sip of juice we're going to drink, it represents the blood of Christ. And so the, the crucifixion was brutal. It was humiliating. It was excruciating. And the brutality of the cross reflects the sinfulness of our sin. It reflects the crushing debt that we owed. It couldn't just be, just God couldn't just snap his finger and say, don't worry about it. It had to be paid for. And Jesus paid for it for us. And so we're going to take a couple moments now. Uh, think about your life. Are you living, if you're a follower of Christ, are you living in light of the debt that has been canceled on your behalf? Is it something you remember every day in every context? If you're not a follower of Christ, we, again, like Logan said, we are so glad you're here. We, we pray you'd take this time to consider who is this man? Who is this man? who even forgives sins. And so, Father, we we turn to you now. We quiet our hearts before you. And we ask, search us, O God. Try us. Show us what's in our heart. Are we living lives consistent with the gospel? The night before Jesus was crucified, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for this time to remember the body and blood of Christ. God, we pray that the way you've treated us in Christ would inform and shape the way we treat one another, the way we treat everyone, even our, our enemies. We pray, God, that we would have this aroma of Christ, that we'd be like him who loved us when we were his enemies. 
God, we pray that this week we'd experience a new fullness, a new satisfaction as we learn how to love. God, we pray we would not get weary in uh, learning how to love. You're a good teacher, and so we trust that you will teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.